Thanks. Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 32. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals, while God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which we will all have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, we will hear you again about this. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Karen. It's lovely to have you all here. I have two young adult children. And as a family, we watch Netflix shows often. Uh, we've watched heaps of Korean dramas, and when we find a series, we watch it to the end. My personal favorite is Vincenzo, the Korean-Italian mafia boss who turns out to be human after all. That was Vincenzo on the left, just in case you're wondering. The rule is... We must all be home to watch every episode. So there's a bit of checking in, who's in, who's out tonight. And we start at the beginning, we watch every episode to the end. 
in order, and I'm sure you're the same. For the Athenians in today's passage, it's like they've missed series one and two in the God story. They're starting in series three. My clicker's not working. Oh, there we go. They're starting in series three. So they've missed series one called What Were We Waiting For? which covered the front end of the Old Testament and the story of ancient Israel. Joshua summarized this for us a couple of weeks ago as years of confusion with a promise. And the promise was that confusion will reign until God reigns. Series 2 was last week's sermon, What We Got. And Jesus was telling the story of two brothers and a father who loved and accepted them both. The father being the hero of the prodigal son story. But the Athenians haven't watched series one and two, and they're starting at series three, and maybe you are too. There have been major storylines, significant subplots, all sorts of details they've missed. And Paul, the preacher in Athens, knows this because he knows he needs to catch them up. Otherwise, it's just not going to make any sense. And maybe you're in the same position, so buckle up. Paul, the preacher is asked to speak to the Athenians because he is the latest viral sensation. They're a culture of podcasts and TED Talks, and he's an oddity who's getting lots of likes on social media. In Acts 17, well, sorry, Paul arrives in Athens and he looks around and he's greatly distressed at the idols. So he stands up and he reasons in the synagogue and in the Areopagus, the marketplace. He's angry, but he speaks really carefully. First stop, synagogue. We understand that. There's religious people there, Jews, other devout people. But then he goes to the Areopagus, the marketplace. Well, why there? Well, first, you need to understand that the marketplace is not like Chadston. It wasn't a whole bunch of shops, and Paul wasn't haranguing a bunch of harried Christmas shoppers. You see, the Areopagus, the marketplace, is actually the city centre. Yes, there were shops. There were also law courts, art precincts, government offices, music centres, libraries, temples. Everything was there. In fact, everyone was there. So this is not a private chat nor a yelling on a street corner. This is a contest of ideas in the center of debate, discussion, philosophy, business, and life in ancient Athens. So a debate in the city center with philosophers. Well, let's look at the passage and see what they believed. First, there were statues and idols everywhere. These were a religious people. They included Jews who believed in Yahweh, but also followers of other gods. And then there were two groups of philosophers, an argumentative lot because they had totally opposing views. The Epicureans were the party animals of the day. The point of life was pleasure and as much of it as, much of it as possible without causing yourself too much pain. Imagine in the 21st century... The Christmas party animals who get drunk, who get as drunk as possible at work functions because there's free alcohol. That's the Epicureans. 
The Stoics, on the other hand, thought that the point of life was to develop self-control and grit so they could overcome destructive emotions. In the 21st century, imagine those who quietly disapprove of work Christmas parties because people might lose control. There's fiery debates between these two groups of people. You can imagine, can't you? Even before you add Paul into the mix. And 21st century Melbourne is very much like ancient Athens. How? Well, we have a range of religious people, some monotheists, some idol worshippers. But if you understand idols the way the Bible does, to include anything that dictates your life, then we've got those who worship money, sex, career, self, possessions. By that definition, we are a city full of idol worshippers. And in addition, we've got the equivalent of the Epicureans and the Stoics. People who think the point of life is pleasure and others who think the purpose of life is to get ahead with self-control and grit. And what do Melburnians believe? Well, that's an impossible question to answer really, isn't it? But I've noticed a pair of contradictory beliefs. Think about yourself and your friends and tell me whether I'm right after the service. The contradictory, not now, yeah. The contradictory beliefs in Melbourne that are common in Melbourne are two. One, all things are accidental. And two, I'm in control of my life. The first one, all things are accidental, is brought about, I think, by the idea that the world came about through a blind evolutionary process where the accidental result of an accidental combination of proteins and chemicals and whatnots over millions of years brought about, and that all brought about the world as we know it. All things are accidental. This belief underpins a particular view of humanity. That view is that good and evil don't really exist. They're just the results of nature and nurture. People need to be better edu educated so society will be better. But look around. There's so much despair because society is not really getting any better despite all our education. The second belief, I think, is quite clear in our culture. I'm in control of my life. People think, talk, and act, feel as if we're in control. We get educated so we can choose what we'll do, where we'll live, how we'll live. We don't appreciate, in Melbourne, in Australia, being told what to do, but we comply when we think it's right. We think everyone is ultimately responsible for their own success or failure. We've been seduced, I think, by think positive. If you can dream it, you can be it. <laughs> Even Barack Obama is quoted as saying, our destiny is not written for us, but by us. Mm -mm. Our future is in our own hands, this thinking goes. Success or failure, it's all up to us. Every decision, every path we take, we are responsible. And it's exhausting, isn't it? 
Can you see how these two views are inherently contradictory? We're the result of an accident, so life is uncertain, versus we're in control of our destiny, so we, de we determine whether we succeed or fail. But how can people believe both these things? In Alice in Wonderland, there's a moment where Alice laughs and says to the queen, there's no use trying. One can't believe impossible things. And she responds, I dare say you haven't had much practice. When I was your age, we always, age, we always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast, says the queen. Our culture only believes two impossible things before breakfast. So in Melbourne, if Melbourne is like ancient Athens, what does Paul preach to them? Well, he says, people of Melbourne, I mean Athens, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. He says, you worship lots of things and sometimes you don't even know what you worship. But let me tell you, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands. Now, you, don't, you might think we don't have many temples here in Melbourne, but in fact, they're everywhere. Because temples are houses for idols. And we have lots of idols. Therefore, we have lots of temples. There's the MCG, there's Chadston, there's our houses, our careers, our families, even our own selves as carefully curated on social media. But Paul says the object, the true object of true worship, God, doesn't live in those temples, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. The object of true worship gives life and breath and everything else. Rather than being enslaved to achieving our destiny or attaining success, our life was given to us by God. And what a gift it is. And what's more, Paul says, God is the ruler of humanity's times and places. He's God of past and present and future. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live. And what was the point? Why did he do this? So they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. God did this, made everything, so that humanity would seek him and perhaps reach for him and find him. God did this so you would seek him and perhaps reach for him and find him. When our kids were in primary school, I became good friends with one of the school mums. And she had a toddler who, for some bizarre reason, decided I was wonderful. Absolutely, the ant's pants, right? One day, he spotted me outside the school, and he yelled, Karen! And I turned, and I saw him, 
And from about 50 meters away, I yelled his name and I crouched down like this and held my arms wide open. And he came hurtling down the footpath as fast as his little legs would carry him and leapt straight into my arms. That's what you do when you want a child to run to you, don't you? You crouch down, you hold your arms out, and you call them. And that's what God is doing in our world. He's holding his arms wide open and calling your name. You see, all creation, all times, all places are made by God. So we would seek him, reach out for him, and find him. God wants us to respond to our history, our experiences, our stresses, our suffering, by seeking him, reaching out for him, and finding him. You see, if we think all life is accidental, then our life experiences can lead to despair. Maybe life really is meaningless. Maybe Christmas really is about commercialism and sappy songs. Maybe genuine peace really is a ridiculous dream. And if we also believe we're in control, or should be, then this period can lead to anxiety and stress and a deep sense of failure. We're feeling out of control. What if Christmas doesn't live up to expectations again this year? So what did Paul tell the Athenians 2,000 years ago? He said, you need to remind yourself God is allowing all these things so you will call out to him. If you keep relying on your capacity to control, then you're worshipping the, the idol of control and power. Or you're worshipping the idol of self-sufficiency or comfort or affection. And what do we do with our idol worship? Well, we listen to Paul as he preaches into our lives. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. God overlooked our worship of idols in the past, but now he is calling to us, turn around, run to me, come into my arms. That's what repent means, turn around, run to God. Leave your idols behind and apologize to God. And why should we? Well, because God has fixed a day on which we will have the world, he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance, proof to all by raising him from the dead. God will eventually call us to account for our rejection of him. And he will judge the world with justice through Jesus. And he proved it by raising Jesus from the dead. This was totally imaginable, both then and now. It's not like they expected Jesus to rise from the dead. But God did it to break into our world and make us take notice. And 2,000 years later, we are still taking notice because it's notable and worth taking notice of. So take notice of this Jesus. This Jesus that we worship at Christmas as a baby. This Jesus who preached, repent and believe the good news. This Jesus who cried, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. 
This Jesus who opened wide his arms of love on the cross. This Jesus, the judge, who loves with his arms wide open to receive those who turn to him. Turn to God because this Jesus, the one God raised from the dead, proves he conquers death and can forgive our rebellion. So what do we do this Christmas? We worship the baby in the manger by accepting Jesus, the man on the cross, with his arms open wide. We enjoy this Christmas, not only because of presents, food, company, but because of the baby in the manger who became the man on the cross who was raised from death to bring us life. But if you aren't a follower of Jesus, a Christian, what do you do? Well, you turn to God, you run to him, you tell him you've been rejecting him and trusting in other things. And because of Jesus' death for us, you can trust that he will forgive you. Tell him that you want to follow him now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the judge who loves with his arms open wide. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that as we worship the baby in the manger, we know that you are the one who comes to judge and who loves at the same time. Help us this Christmas to follow you, to love you, to worship you with as much of us, ourselves as we can. Help us to be your people first. Amen.